0: I went from like the highs to lows to like complete confusion. And it was I was just all over the place. This movie's awful.
1: <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of So Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks, and I'm Thomas Horton. And here at So Nation, we like discussing genre. We like kind of delving into genre and tropes and the history of it. And this month, we did Texas month last uh, for the month of May, and for the month of June, we're looking at theater movies. And one thing we kind of like doing here is is kind of carving out a genre in some way, and we like looking at genres that aren't particularly classified as genres, if that makes sense. I know not all genres are heist movies or courtroom dramas, but they're they're a little bit more smaller in scope, and I think theater movies kind of fit into that category. So we're kind of going to create a template for that in this episode, and then we'll kind of discuss it for the rest of the month. And so, Thomas, like, what do you think of when you think of theater movies? I mean,
0: honestly, I I think of like if you before we started doing all this, if you were to say theater movie to me, I would think of like a musical that had been adapted from stage into film. Um, That would just be where my mind went to automatically. And I, I've, I've studied, like, the musical before and I kind of know the background of, like, a, a, a how it started as, like, reviews and backstage musicals and that sort of stuff. But, like, that, that's the first thing that pops to my head is, like, cats or something yeah. like that.
1: <laughs> cats. Always cats. Yeah, so it's, like, people kind of think, like, the adaptation of a musical or a play or something like that. Uh, but with this, we're going to be kind of, like, just... In some cases, these movies follow actors who were on a on a show, or or like you're saying, kind of the product, like the the production of a show. And do you have any connection to theater? Uh, not really. My
0: high school did not really have much of a theater program, which is weird. I'm not sure what happened when I was in middle school. We used to like take field trips to go see the big high school productions. It was like a big thing. Like our high school theater department was huge. And then like right when I got there, it felt like it just kind of went away. And I think they only did one production like the entire time I was in school. They oh, did wow. Footloose. Sophomore, junior year. I, I, I know I went to see them do Footloose, but I don't remember them doing anything else beyond that uh and then in college i had i had a a bunch of friends in the theater department in college so i like went to go see their shows um a friend of mine did a did an extended run of of god of carnage um they did it and then it got picked up for like a summer festival and i went to go see her do that a few times and um oh man i can't even remember i i did a i did a show once what was it it was for my friends uh it was for my friends directing like senior project and he he did an abbreviated version of um neil simon's laughter on the 23rd floor interesting choice and uh, it was was, i mean it was a lot to direct it's just like a bunch of people in a room yelling at each
1: other um yeah and i was in that i was in that for for him it was a good time i uh was in drama in high school and did it for all four years in high school was our was our school's first president of the drama department so there we go it was, uh, we had a, uh, like a, a, thespian society is what it was. And I was the first kind of official president of that. And then I minored in theater in college, did that. So that, so some of the stuff with some of these movies was like very like nostalgic. And we'll talk about that. I
0: did, I did forget. I, um, I also, I took acting one oh one because somehow we found a loophole where all of my friends could get in it, and it was just my friend group in the entire class. <laughs> and, uh that was a good time we, yeah act, acting 101 uh I did a i did a, a monologue from the glass menagerie as my as my final
1: oh that's that sounds like an acting 101 <laughs> uh, uh, choice yeah i uh I, I pretty much i did so brief I mean it's it's not I was there paid for any of these jobs like most high school and college productions but I was like stage manager actor assistant stage manager and community theater lighting design sound stuff like, I did kind of every almost every job except like props and costumes but i dealt with those people so i can tell you all about it but never got paid for any of it because it was all like it's all for the art but and but some of these movies i'll kind of bring up that experience as we go about the community theater aspect or the high school aspect or the college aspect so let's start off um talking about this kind of the history of it so i mean early on musicals the turn of the century of 1900 It came up out of Broadway and a lot of the shows were kind of originally based on like vaudeville acts, variety show acts, and then it became these musical reviews by people like uh, Florence Sickfeld. Who did things like the Ziegfeld Follies, where it was kind of like a hybrid of all these different things, like variety and vaudeville, where you had comedians like W.C. Fields or Ray Bolger and these people, and then you bring up and the big thing about the Ziegfeld uh, Ziegfeld Follies was the was his chorus line called the Ziegfeld Follies, but his reviews basically that was the kind of big centerpiece, and it was these beautiful chorus line, uh, uh, this beautiful beautiful women in these chorus lines, and were known for this kind of spectacle. And there's a movie called the great Ziegfeld, which is kind of a biopic of Florence Ziegfeld and his rise to the top on Broadway starred Dick Powell, not Dick Powell, uh, William Powell. I had to do a, and I just realized this, I I forgot about this in high school. I had to do a report on Florence Ziegfeld. Like I had to actually play Florence Ziegfeld in like my (laughs) speech. Like it was a thing we did in class where like you came up and like did a speech as the person from this era. So I when this Florence Sickfeld had like a, like a top hat, did a whole speech. It was, it was terrible. Um, but yeah, so, but they start off doing musical views, reviews on Broadway and films kind of early on in terms of musicals, when sound came in, that was kind of the original like way to bring in theater into, uh, into film. And a lot of these musicals were kind of these, what we would call backstage musicals. Weirdly, as time has gone on backstage musicals have kind of, fall into the wayside in terms of film and even theater and it's more of these integrated musicals like cats into the woods like just kind of the big musicals you think of grease even that's kind of what integrated musicals are but backstage musicals are about kind of putting on a show and that's kind of how this genre gets started in film 42nd street which we're going to talk about is not the first one i think i I think the first one might be the broadway melody which won the Oscar? Won the won the Oscar? Uh, I think the second year the Cameo Awards were around. Apparently, it's not that good. I've never seen it, but that I think it was Broadway Melody of nineteen twenty nine is what it was. But anyway, so first we we're going to talk about the kind of establishes establishes this backstage musical and kind of kind of become the prototype for it all is Forty Second Street. Which came out in 1933. And it has since been adapted on stage uh, on Broadway. And the Broadway musical kind of takes songs from 42nd Street, I think from uh, Gold Diggers of 1933, Dame. So a lot of these early 1930s backstage musicals kind of like evolved into the 42nd Street musical of the 1980s. So thomas rewatched 42nd street i also rewatched 42nd street thomas what is it about what is 42nd street about uh yeah it's about the production of a show it's
0: it's got a lot of like threads going like story threads going yeah. on um but it's about a a famous actress who's like a little washed up it seems and um and she has a sugar daddy that she talks into putting a show on for her and uh and it's just kind of about the like building out the cast it's a lot of like chorus girls who all know each other um and then you're also following a young girl who has never been a chorus girl before and um gets cast for the first time and she starts having uh kind of a romance with a man who is also in love with the famous actress and uh and she's also i mean there's all kind of it's 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 kind of complicated yes um, but uh, but ultimately the a lot of stuff goes down and she ends up of course being the star of the show by the end of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the whole plot line of the director who's like ill Mm -hmm. and it's like, he's, he's, it's kind of his, he thinks this, it's his last hurrah. I guess you could say it's like, I think he says, um, his name's Julian Jillian Marsh. The the character He's like, the doctors told me not to do it, but I, I'm sick. I have to, I have to, I have to keep directing basically He's I have to put on the show no matter what. And so you have, so you have these kind of threads of, of ruby keller is the is the young actress who is part of the chorus line and then later gets chosen to become the star for opening nights that's the thing and this this really establishes the idea of the whole putting on a show aspect of this genre and specifically how with a lot of movies i watched in this i don't know if you notice this but it's always act three the show must go on is kind of my big thing that I've noticed is mm-hmm. that in, in these type movies, it's backstage musicals or even just like straight movies about putting on a play, the show has to go on in act three. You might see snippets of it of like the the um, the previews or whatever beforehand and the rehearsals, but the opening night feel or the putting on the show is is always like act three. Yeah, and you're gonna like. and you're gonna get a lot of it like yeah
0: you know anywhere from like i'm not sure exactly how long the runtime is for like the red shoes but like that like yeah. the actual show of the red shoes is like a solid like 40 minutes on the tail end of that movie that is like uninterrupted performance yeah, like the,
1: the one i'll bring up a uh, later later we're talking about is opening night uh by by john cassavetes and i think the last half hour of the movie is just the play mm-hmm. and you're seeing the everyone kind of freaking out backstage or everyone on stage it's just you're you're getting all of that in the last last third of the film and I think 42nd Street kind of establishes that where it's the okay like the 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 big line the probably the cliche line of the movie is Sawyer you're you're going out there a young woman but you better come back a star Mm -hmm. like that's the whole it's the star is born yeah uh, storyline
2: Sawyer are you listening to me you listen hard. 200 people, 200 jobs, 200 thousand dollars, five weeks of grind and blood and sweat depend upon you. It's the lives of all these people who've worked with you. You've got to go on and you've got to give and give and give. They've got to like you, got to. Do you understand? You can't fall down. You can't because your future's in it. My future and everything all of us have is staked on you. All right, now I'm through. But you keep your feet on the ground and your head on those shoulders of yours and go out and saw you. You're going out a youngster. But you've got to come back a star.
1: And 42nd street why it's important is because you have the you have the the rising star the star is born with ruby keller's character you have the fading star with the with the person who's supposed to the original actress who's supposed to be starring in the play uh and then you have kind of the the fading director in a way who's using these characters as a or as a way to continue his career in in classic hollywood style you also have outside of the plot
0: you have your rising star in like one of ginger rogers first roles right i mean this she's
1: yeah like a very small side character in this but she gets she, she does get like a number yes and 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 to put this in to also talk about this is that 42nd street came out in 1933 and it did so well they had another movie kind of on the 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 back burner called gold diggers of 1933
0: third street Street,
1: <laughs> but gold diggers of 1933 pretty much has the same exact cast
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's ginger rogers dick Powell's also in it uh ruby keller a lot of the like supporting actors as well are in it i was like i guess it shows the the, the names i watched gold diggers of 1933 to prep for this as well it shows all the cast before the movie i was like oh this is pretty much the same exact cast it's like they just said hey let's just do the same movie again uh, and it's the same thing. It's so they're putting on a musical. It's set during the Depression era. Another thing too that these movies deal with early on is like putting it during the Depression and talking about it in some way. I love it's my, more
0: my favorite part of the movie. I want to take this clip and like put it on TikTok. I feel like it would blow up. But at the very beginning, the uh, <laughs> the sugar daddy character is like telling her she's like, "Oh, I need a show,"
1: and he's like, "Don't worry, you're a star. You'll get a show." And she goes, "With this Depression?" <laughs> <laughs> and so that kind of continues in the gold diggers of 1933 where it starts off with this big, huge Busby Berkeley number. And then the bank comes in. and was like, Hey, you didn't pay your bills. We're taking all the set. And it was just like the, the producer had all these like bills that he had, or all these loans he had taken out. And because of the depression, they're like, okay, we need the money. If not, we're taking all the show. He's like, it's Oh, tomorrow's opening night. You can't do this. And they take everything. And then all the actresses are just, like, living in the same apartment together. Like, what do we do? There's suppression on. Anyway, so you had some thoughts on 42nd Street. Yeah. And I wanted to bring this up. Um, I mean, I told
0: you, it, it, and I watched this in college. I, I took, a, like, a, a movie musical class within genre studies. And this was, like, the first one that we watched. And And the first time I watched it, it came off as, like, a little bland to me. And and I told you after a rewatch, I think what I realized is, and and I, I call this like the Citizen Kane effect. But it's if you look from a historical standpoint, this is such a historic movie from style and especially visuals. Um, I yeah. mean, when we were watching it in class in college, my professor just keep kept saying, and apparently, I don't know. This is what he told me. I don't know if this is this is what is agreed upon in history. I'm mean, going to assume so because I respect him a lot as a professor, but. That it was it was Busby Berkeley's idea to get the camera up on stage for his dance numbers, even though he was he was the choreographer and not the director. They said he was very influential in saying, like, we need to get the camera in to the dancers. We're not going to put the camera behind the proscenium and it needs to be up in there and I'm going to choreograph around the camera. And before that, any kind of like staged movie about being on stage was just kind of shot from the audience point of view and yeah. uh, and so that's what we we specifically like broke down the um the young and healthy sequence which is dick powell and ginger rogers uh-huh. and and there's a very famous shot in which the camera is on a rotating platform it's standing still as the platform rotates and all of the dancers are like moving over the camera and then you arrive at dick
1: powell and ginger rogers like on the ground I mean, it's, it's ruby keller yeah oh, that, it's it's no that's ruby keller's not in that one right Young and Healthy It's the it's the Big Lebowski shot. Yeah, yeah, is that yeah, the yeah. one you're talking about? Yeah. I answer Ruby Keller and Dick Pal I thought. Well, 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 I'm I'm going to Google this in a second. Uh, <laughs> all right, hold up. I'm doing it now. Young and Healthy. You're correct. It is Ginger Rogers. Ha. All right, there we go. <laughs> I was wrong. I thought I thought it was the I thought it was just... Shuffle off to Buffalo is her like yes, with her and with, with him and Dick Pal or her and Dick Pal. Yes, you're correct. Ginger Rogers in this one. For some reason cuz I always thought it was one continuous number, and that's why I was putting in my head. So Ginger Rogers, who was in that number with Dick Powell.
0: But yeah, like like you mentioned, you know, that was the Coen brothers referenced it and, and that is just how we're used to dance being shot now. Yeah. In the way that it is very hard to take yourself and sit and go, This was the first time they did that. And when you and you, and when you watch Citizen Kane, you know, you have to have this built-in thing about like this was the first time they ripped the floors out and they shot from the floors up and nobody had ever shown a ceiling in a, like a a set before, like all that kind of stuff that everyone talks about with citizen Kane. It's hard. You have to be like completely conscious of, of what you're watching in front of you being like groundbreaking. And if you're not, it's gonna, it's gonna come off as cliche because it has been referenced so many times by things behind it. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's this weird thing that happens very occasionally to movies where it's like, if you become so influential that, that you in yourself just look like another one of these movies. And that's, that's what it feels like. There's, there's like, I don't know if, if you didn't know the, the historical significance of this movie, you'd be like, Oh, it's another like star is born. Yeah, musical m- movie.
1: Maybe. I I don't know. I really love this movie. That's the thing. I will say it's, I've, it's gone. It's gone. It went down a little bit for me in the rewatch. I guess the thing, I mean, yeah, that's the, you're talking about the cliche part. I, the, the quote I want to bring up with Pauline Kael was when Busby Berkeley died, they talk about 42nd street and Pauline Kael says the one that gave life to the cliches that have kept Paradist happy. <laughs> like that's the one that people, it's like, when you think of Busby Berkeley and his kind of numbers, like he did a lot of movies, but 42nd street is always kind of the, the archetype of what Berkeley would do. Mm. And I, what's weird too, because when watching Gold Diggers nineteen thirty three, I think Forty Second Street's story and script is better, but Gold Diggers of nineteen thirty three has much better set pieces, mm. like musical set pieces. Like you can tell just from Forty Second Street to Gold Diggers in nineteen thirty three, Berkeley really like honed skills in terms of how to direct dance and musical numbers on screen and how to shoot for it because there's some parts that are a little rough in 42nd Street where the where the cuts are really kind of hard and jarring mm-hmm. especially at the, the last number and everything in Gold diggers feels is very smooth and how they do it well and here's here's my thing
0: and and we we won't have like another musical it's, we have one other musical in the on the list here but I'm totally. a big fan of like and I, I know there's there's I, I can't remember the term for this is a performance musical where all the music that is being shown on screen is being performed in real life yeah i i like the, i like the other stuff I, i'm not sure what the exact term is for that i know we learned it
1: in, in college well that's well what i was saying is that's called integrated musicals yeah it's like that's that it's inherent in the plot with the songs that are happening yeah yeah that's Game yeah that, that's what i, I yeah. heard it referred
0: yeah. to performance musical as in that person is actually performing it whereas in uh, other types of musicals it's almost like a soliloquy um yeah, yeah, yeah you know and the soliloquy is integrated
1: yeah. where it's like oh it's, okay yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: so like yeah. you know in greece when he's singing stranded at the drive-in like he's not actually sitting at the drive-in like singing it out loud you have this understanding that it's like yeah some sort of outside reality that's that's what i kind of look for in a musical and and there's a structure to that and so in this movie like we talked about it's like you know two acts of a movie and then all the musical is like back ended it's just it's weird Yeah, it's not exactly what I look for in a musical. That's not that's not my cup of tea necessarily.
1: And that's and that's why I think in terms of the backstage musical, why that has faded out, like out of like the genre of film musicals, because it's not inherent in the plot. Mm. Like you're not seeing characters. I think chorus line is like the only one I can really think of that is is really. both. But yeah, it was that kind it, it just kind of stops the plot is what the backstage musical kind of does. It's like, okay, we're going to take a break from the plot and we're going to have our, our lead actress sing this melancholy ballad or mm. whatever, which is what happens in Gold Diggers. And that has faded out of, I mean, it's not being used anymore. And you can understand why and how the, the kind of tropes of the backstage musicals have turned more into people putting on a play, not a musical, but a straight play which you'll see pop up in me and orson wells and things like that we'll talk about later so that's it kind of those tropes are started in 42nd street but the musical aspect is kind of taken out of it for modern films today
4: in the heart of little old new york you'll find a thoroughfare it's the part of little old new york that runs into times square a crazy quilt that Got a little time to spare? I'd like to take you there. Come and meet those dancing feet on the avenue. I'm taking you to Forty Second Street. Hear the beat of dancing feet. It's the song I love. The melody of Forty Second Street. Little nifties from the 50s, innocent and sweet. Sexy ladies from the 80s who are indiscreet. All oh, the side by side, they're glorified. Where the underworld can meet the elite, 42nd Street.
1: I do argue it establishes the backstage musical and is probably, as you say, one of the more. It's the Citizen Kane of these musicals. You yeah. might not love it. You can
0: appreciate it for sure. And I I think it's also a great watch for, like, if you're interested in, like, kind of pre code kind of stuff, too. Like, it, yeah, they, they touch on some, some, like, very mature kind of stuff in in a, in in a very fun way. It's a very biting take on Broadway, it feels like. Yes, Um, it is. They're, they're really poking fun hard at, at, some of the the broadway like stereotype the 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 actors and the yeah. patrons and the actresses
1: and all that kind of stuff and and that's a good point and that transitions well into to be or not to be which i feel pokes fun at actors and 100 um, <laughs> the, percent the theater world tremendously of kind of just how i mean egotistical i don't know if that's the word for it like jack benny is just very obsessed with himself yeah yeah the ego stars yeah for yeah. sure is it him and Carol Lombard and Carol Lombard is like the talented actress who's always been the shadow of her husband. And Jack Benny's like, it's okay. Anyway, to be or not to be, to break down the story of it first, directed by Ernest Lubitsch, who was kind of like a master director in terms of comedy or t- kind of dramatic comedy in a way at this point in the 1940s and late 1930s. Uh, but the movie starts Jack Benny and Carol Lombard and it takes place in, they're in Poland is what it is. Right before the Nazi German invasion uh, of 1939, it's a comedy. It opens on Hitler. Uh, it opens on Hitler, but it opens on this like narration of like, what's going on? The, it's who's in, who's in Germany? Why is everyone? They're so. They're, like, their faces are so. Yeah, it's, it's almost uh, startled. like startled.
0: It's, it's not an out and out like news reel, like fake news reel. Yeah. Shout out Citizen Kane uh, <laughs> for one of their many groundbreaking moves within Citizen Kane making a fake news reel, but. It's close. It's definitely, like, inspired by, like, kind of the newsreel
1: style. And what you find out is that uh, Jack Benny and Carol Lombard are part of this theater troupe in Poland, in Warsaw. And they are doing Hamlet uh, at the moment as their production, but they are in the midst of, of transitioning into this new dramatic play about Nazi Germany and the Gestapo and so you the opening you have the newsreel thing but then it transitions into like what you think is actually like a meeting at at like uh the gestapo headquarters Mm -hmm. and it's like it feels kind of this like dark like this this gestapo is like you're seeing what the what they're doing in, in in germany at the time and then you find out oh it's just them putting out a play and the guy who's playing hitler he's like the director's like he doesn't look like hitler He's like, I do like Hitler. And they're like, no, no, you don't. And he goes, I'll prove it. I'll walk outside and prove to everyone that I'm Hitler. Mm-hmm. And that's, and it goes, and that's how Hitler wound up in Warsaw. But I think, so you have that brief thing about the theater and you have them performing Hamlet and the whole line for To Be or Not To Be comes into play here, is that Jack is putting on Hamlet and his wife, Carol Lumbar, has this kind of thing with a young soldier who's in Poland and, and he's infatuated with her, but a huge fan of her work. And she she keeps getting flowers from him. And she tells him, come back to my dressing room when my husband w- w- or when when Hamlet goes into his to be or not to be speech. So it has this just it it's an actor's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Is that you're performing Hamlet, Hamlet's most famous speech, and right when you start, someone on the front row gets up and walks out. We'll uh, we'll talk about that speech a little bit later on too. Hey, well, because it comes up me and Orson Welles, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah. Important we'll talk about important that. part of that. It's an it important part. So anyway, but yeah. So it's like so the 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 theater company gets shut down when when Germany invades Poland, and what happens is all these actors get tied up in this like essentially the spy ring in a way. Yeah. Like basically, the soldiers in Poland find out that one of their one of their uh I think their doctors or professors that talks with them is actually a Nazi spy, and they've given him information of all of these like uh, Polish sympathizers and the families of these Polish soldiers, and he's gonna take the list of names back to the Gestapo in Poland, and then all these people will be captured. And so basically, the actors have to pretend to be the Gestapo in order to get the list from the the Nazi spy. I've watched this before. I think I brought this up in the screwball comedy episode because very much. I think it's, this is a screwball comedy to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's some romance built into it. It's a, it's a, it's a falling back in love kind of thing um, between the main couple so what were your thoughts about because you never seen it before this you'd seen the the remake of it yeah i had i'd seen the mel brooks one several times
0: because it was in my my mel brooks box set that i got when i was a kid and i was obsessed with mel brooks um yeah this was a lot of fun it's it's very sharp like i i I kind of thought i remember finding out that the mel brooks one was a remake and being like oh they must they must have definitely like sharpened it up because there's no way in like that period they would have been that critical of like nazis and just kind of making fun of them but um they were, but yeah, it it, it definitely <laughs> did. Yeah, and I think it's also having watched a bunch of these. This was the last one I watched out of the group, and um, uh, and it was really f- fun to see a take between like Forty Second Street and Stage Fright, which we'll talk about next. I, the, like the diva had become like a very go to stereotype yeah. in these movies, and this yeah, this is the only one within this group, and and one of the only ones of that time period I've seen to really like flip it and just have an out and out male diva like it is yeah it is all it is all jack benny all the time and his you come to understand that his his marriage is like on the verge of falling apart because he's so self-obsessed um and there's this kind of recurring joke that even though he finds out his wife is having an affair he's like more insulted that she was having an affair during his monologue um (laughs) than like necessarily like cheating on him um
1: so yeah that, that that part's fun for sure there's a scene that was just like this is like, there's a lot of sexual innuendos in this movie, too, mm-hmm. for 1942. There's the scene when Carol Lombard and Robert Stack, who plays the soldier, having the first conversation when he comes back to her dressing room, and she finds out he's a pilot. And there's so many comments in that scene <laughs> that they're just talking about sex. So
4: you're the gentleman that sent me those lovely flowers. Thank <sighs> you. You somehow I pictured you quite differently as a dignified old gentleman. And now I see you, I, I wonder if it was really the right thing to ask you back here. You, you see, I never see strangers in my dressing room.
5: Oh, but you're no stranger to me, Mrs. Tura. I've seen you in everything you ever played. I'll never forget how I laughed when I saw you as Kiki.
4: Yes, <laughs> some people thought I was funny.
5: <laughs> but you certainly weren't funny when you played Lady Macbeth. Thank you. I was really scared of you that night.
4: Oh, poor little me. Oh, I wouldn't hurt a fly.
5: <laughs> or a goldfish. Uh, by the way, how is he? Who? The goldfish.
4: What goldfish?
5: Oh, the one you're so attached to. You see, I, I read all your interviews.
4: Oh. oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course.
5: <laughs> and when I saw that picture of you in the farm, you behind the plow. Uh, by the way, where was that?
4: In the Chronicle.
5: Oh, no, I mean, where's the farm?
4: Oh, no, no, no. I think we've talked much too much about me. Tell me about yourself.
5: Well, there isn't much to tell. I I just fly a bomber.
4: Oh, how perfectly thrilling.
5: I don't know about its being thrilling, but it's quite a bomber. You might not believe it, but I can drop three tons of dynamite in two minutes. Really? Does that interest you?
4: It certainly does.
5: I don't want to overstep myself, but I'll take a chance. Would you permit me to show you my plane? Maybe. When shall I call for you?
4: Tomorrow at two o'clock at my home. No, I better meet you right at the airport.
5: Goodbye. Mm. I hope you forgive me if I acted a little clumsy, but this is the first time I ever met an actress.
4: Lieutenant, this is the first time I've ever met a man who could drop three tons of dynamite in two minutes. Bye.
1: So how else would this movie be theater? Yeah, I mean, you kind of you kind of start
0: as it goes on you kind of start to lose a little bit of the like theater aspect because it this is probably the most like plot driven one yeah. of the, the more plot driven movies within this uh, within this thing but I, I think definitely like the 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 hot headed star for sure um this yeah. is this is definitely sending up um all of that with with his character
1: and even and i would say probably the obsessed like the uh not just obsessive but the very like uh staunch playwright if that makes sense like he's like get my words right it's just very this like stereotypical playwright of like i'm god you've even kind of got the like star is born aspect like
0: they they do a twist on that but you've got the one character i can't remember his name but the um the character they like call him up and they, they need him to be a distraction and he plays the shylock yeah yeah and he's he's never really had like a big role and they were like this is it this is your starring role you have to like get in these nazis faces and and like scold them as a as a jew and and it's, yeah. yeah that's 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 you're like you're going out there a star like you're going out there a kid and you're coming back a star that's that's like that moment but it's like you could be killed
1: doing this and he and he's amazing in that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name, his plays. The character name is Greenberg. His act, the actor name is, is Felix Bessart. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was a guy who was used in a lot of Lubitsch films. He was in Shop Around the Corner as Jimmy Stewart's best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah 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 yeah. He's he's also in Ninochka as one of the Russian spies who comes to like the Western civilization, realizes he loves it, wants to stay and not go back to Cold Russia. Um, also, so one of Lubitsch's. Uh, troop members basically yeah uh but yeah he and it's like and the scene when he's like uh, confronting the nazi soldiers i said it's a it's a dramatic scene Mm -hmm. like there's not a laugh in that scene and that's kind of the it's funny the irony of it is that his character's oh that would get a good laugh yeah and that's we always keep saying but in his big scene there's not a single laugh it's a very it's crazy thing he took the the words of shakespeare from merchant of venice and then it becomes this very uh topical moment.
2: How did you get here? I was born here. and what made you decide to die? Him. What do you want from the
5: future? What does he want from us? What does he want from Poland? Why all this? Why? Why? Aren't we human? Have we not eyes? Have we not hands, organs, senses, dimensions, affections, Passions? Fed with the same food? Hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, cooled and warmed by the same winter and summer? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die?
2: If you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Lieutenant lange and Schneider. Yes, sir. Yes. Take charge of this man and bring him to my headquarters. I want to question
1: him. I would also argue Act Three is them putting on a show. Yeah, it's 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 not the it's not the sim, the usual take of actually putting on the show on a stage. They've realized because the theater's been closed, well, we have to use what we did when we did that Gestapo. We're rehearsing for that Gestapo play and actually use it in real life and like actors becoming heroes in a way. I mean,
0: it, to me, it feels like it plays out like a heist movie, but maybe a heist movie is just a theater movie. I mean, you're just it's all about rehearsal. Okay. It's about getting your cast, about doing rehearsals, okay. about putting on the play.
1: I thought that same thing when I was watching Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> and we'll talk about that when like but when uh when Christopher Guest when uh when Corky is like going around and like trying to round out his cast and he's just like hey i i've heard you've done a little acting in your career in your life i you 6'2 ah,
0: oh wow 6'2 oh yeah
1: yeah oh you could fit into the costume it's like it was like it feels like this is the sequence when he's finding his he's finding his team and i was like wow this this really is kind of a heist movie mm-hmm. wow
0: all you guys out there are like oh heat's my favorite movie guess what you love theater <laughs>
1: movies <laughs> One's the fading star and one's the rising star yeah. <laughs> and then <heat. laughs> and, one, and the stars, one of them has to go. Yeah. You can't have two at the can't same time. Can't have both. That's Heat. Heat, the musical. That's that's what we need next. Anyway, so, and also too, as you mentioned and we will briefly mention this, is like without this movie, without Ernest Lubitsch, you don't have Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really have the producers or the remake of To Be or Not To Be or... History of the World Part One. It feels like his kind of biting comedy, his his spoofs that he would call. I feel like this is part of that DNA. Yeah, it's like kinda of, it's silly and smart at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So onward. We've now we've moved out of the 30s, out of the forties, and now we're moving into the fifties. And the movie we're gonna talk about here is it's not really a popular film. Like it's 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 directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and I would argue it's one of his lesser known films and it's called stage fright. And I want to talk about stage fright because what I'm finding out when we're doing these kind of like month long looks at genres is there's always kind of a little, little subgenre within this genre, within this genre we're covering that deals with horror or deals with thriller in some way. And they're set at the, at the, in the theater world and stage fright fits into that. And so can you give us a brief rundown on stage fright? Yeah um stage fright is once again about a a young man
0: devoted to an actress Uh, there we go that's um to be or not to be um he's i I believe he's a backup dancer like a a chorus line dancer um yeah and his he he um comes to a friend of his who is an actress and says that his his this actress he's been having an affair with um has murdered her husband and has asked him to uh cover up for her and to take the evidence and get rid of it and so then you follow this, this, this young woman who is a friend of his as she uh, gets herself involved in the investigation and goes kind of undercover as a maid to this actress played by Marlena Dietrich. Um, to like figure out to get to get enough evidence to show that like she did it and to save her friend and like get him and 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 in in the meantime she becomes involved accidentally with the detective who is on the case and all these all these hitchcock webs are are woven
1: yeah yeah and she she also not just a maid but she ends up being her dresser yeah Mm and in in the play that she's in And, and it's played by jane wyman it's one of hitchcock's between like mid 40s to mid 50s Hitchcock has a period where it's like he has a a, like a he people would argue a masterpiece and his next film is this like lesser known film so you have things like stage fright you have things like I confess we talked about I believe in the faith our faith episode and under Capricorn even lifeboat and stage fright I think fits fits neatly into that uh, group of forgotten Hitchcock films so so thomas what were your thoughts in this movie um yeah i mean it's it's very as you were kind of talking about like the
0: more forgotten hitchcock films i feel like a lot of them aren't come back to as much because they don't necessarily fit into the like hitchcock as an all tour kind of thing yeah. um yeah. and it like as soon as i started watching this one i was like oh this is hitchcock there's a there's a very famous legend of of that when he was a child to punish him once his father took him to the police yeah. station and handed him over and said he's a He's a bad boy. Lock him up. And they like put him in a cell for what he said was several hours. It might have just been a couple of minutes. But um, he he has always openly ever since then had a like being terrified of police officers and has always in- explored the idea of like an, an innocent man accused. Like that is one of his like go to um, uh, things is like being on the run from the cops, knowing that like you can't talk to a, knowing that you're you, like even though you know that you're innocent, like knowing that you can't talk to anybody and being suspicious of everyone. And that that's 100% on display here. Like as soon as I started
1: watching, I was like, Oh, this is, it's, it's the innocent man. Like, but there's a twist to it. Yeah. It, there's a, it's, it's extremely it's, well done. You're not really following the innocent man. Right. You're following the person who's trying to prove he's innocent, mm-hmm. which is a rarity in the Hitchcock genre. Yeah like it's usually you're following uh carrie grant trying to prove himself innocent or you're following jimmy stewart or whoever like you're following these people to prove hey i didn't do this and that's always been a thing and with this one what makes it so different for him is that you're following the woman who's trying to save this guy mm-hmm. and he is kind of just a i mean he he only pops up i feel like in a handful yeah of he's scenes, gone for most like. of the second act yeah yeah for sure and so she uses her father, who's played by uh, Alistair Sim, so good in this. Oh he's man, he's really good. I've yeah. only ever seen
0: him in. Uh, I, I really think the only thing I've seen him in is *Christmas Carol*, but yeah, he was so fun
1: in this. I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed his performance here. And and there's moments, especially the ending sequence, where in terms of visual style and even like the way he uses the way Hitchcock uses sound. That's like I think his like he it, it definitely it's a movie that builds to the to the, the proper climax of the film, mm-hmm. and it's a the ending we won't say what it is but the ending is a it's a it's a finale.
0: Yeah, it's, it's Hitchcock a, for sure. Like it, it's it's, 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 yeah. it's interesting that this one isn't brought up as Talked much as in the much. like Hitchcock all yeah. tour studies because it's definitely there with a lot of the different themes and and yeah like you said it's very like visually um bold in in some points um yeah that the, the um towards the opening when he goes to the house to uh-huh. check on the body uh-huh. it's incredible uh, yeah. it goes in the, the camera follows him down the street up the steps in the door up two flights of stairs and then into the parlor room it just seamlessly
1: yeah and and they said this is one that kind of is known for its extreme long takes mm-hmm like in rope like he, it's in a period where he's really playing around with long takes in his movies uh and this is kind of at the tail end of that where you have uh rope in 1948 and this in 1950
0: but yeah i mean i think one of the like crazy like crane shots that that everyone always points to with him is that shot notorious where you come down and, and zoom in on the on the key and you go through the whole party but uh yeah, yeah this this felt uh maybe there maybe there's not as much background action to
1: direct in this one but it, it was still extremely impressive but uh, yeah, man, really enjoyed it. It's it's a fun one. It's and it's 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 underrated. So how is this theater? Besides it being set in the world of theater, I mean, it definitely takes into account
0: like we were talking about. It takes into account that the the stereotype of the diva. Um, yeah, with Marlena Dietrich, and, yeah. and plays with it a little bit, plays with your expectations. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you're supposed to be in, introduced to her and immediately between like Marlena Dietrich's, own reputation and yeah. what we know going all the way back to 42nd Street about you know this the, the kind of um, the negative connotations that these movies represented about famous actors yeah you're immediately like oh yeah the, the, we know who this is we know yeah we know what kind of person this is and and the movie continues to kind of play with that throughout and and also kind I mean you've you've got the like star in the in the upcoming it's it's yeah you, it, they're always kind of cutting back to the idea that she is a, the, the main character is an aspiring actress, even though this is not tech. It's not technically stage acting. She is, she is acting and she's putting her talents to use. And uh, that's a fair point. Yeah. It's a, in, in a, in a weird way. It's about the rising star <laughs> and the falling star.
1: Yeah. She's like training at Royal Academy of dramatic art. And I think the first time you see her is that uh, the, the guy who is accused of murder interrupts her acting class to talk with her. I think is what it is. Yeah. This is the first time you see her. Uh, and yeah, you also have We're. I don't think we're really talking about this in any of the movies we're covering, but there is this kind of character of the dresser in, uh, in theater movies. And those, I think there's even a movie called the dresser that is a part of our, our list. So that is a kind of just a, a side character that is not always explored in theater movies I, I gotta, gotta shout out I'd, I'd always known that the song speaking
0: of Mel Brooks i had always known that the song that is performed in Blazing Saddles was like a parody of a real Marlena Dietrich song this is it this is is it it, she's got the one laziest laziest gal in town yeah she's got the one in blazing's house it's just like i'm so tired and it's just her like yawning the whole
1: time (laughs) yeah that's this movie Uh, as soon as she started singing (laughs) this one i was like wait this is that song (laughs) (laughs) i have heard this yeah it's and 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 i do think i mean here's i'll I'll throw this one out there because i do think there is a little niche genre of or subgenre of horror movie set at theater and I think an example of that, and see if you'd count this is fan of the opera.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, we we, we we had a talk before this all went down as if we were including ballet in this, but I mean, you, you've also got Black Swan and Suspiria. Like, um, yeah, there's there's definitely something. I mean, there's there's something inherently, you know, kind of creepy about like all the all the when when the when all the lights when all the house lights are out. And the spotlights on the stage there's something inherently creepy about what's going on backstage yeah. what's going on on the catwalk like it's it's just uh there is something mysterious and and that you can play with in that but yeah i think phantom of the opera is definitely um yeah phantom of the opera is weird because it's an integrated musical
1: it's uh it's a backstage also musical. a backstage
0: musical in a way yeah. yeah and it's got it's got horror uh mixed in with it
1: well yeah you you're talking about kind of the horror thing the big thing that kind of comes up to me and i don't know if you know this term is the ghost light yeah
0: oh yeah you put you put it out right you put it out in the middle of the yeah stage. You rel-
1: yes exactly yeah yeah it, it, it illuminates the empty empty stage is what it is and it's kind of the superstition um to scare away ghosts, is kind of what it is is why it's called the ghost light there's your theater history there but yeah so there there is like an inherent supernatural or superstition quality to, I mean, even in theater in general, like when we, it's the whole, like, don't say good luck, say break a leg. It's like there, there's something about like, you don't want something to go wrong. The Scottish play. Yeah. So what if you take that to a, a, a horror aspect and push it, not just to like the, super, the superstitions of the play going right. What if it becomes an actual horror story? Um, and I do think that's why stage fright really kind of fits into this because it's not really a horror film but I would count it as a thriller.
2: Last we are alone and unobserved. You know, I'm beginning to enjoy this.
4: Father, do you think she arranged to put the suspicion on Jonathan? Do you think she deliberately framed him?
2: The thought had crossed my mind. That was why I reluctantly suggested that our friends, the police, ought to be told about it. It was too late now. Our only piece of evidence has gone up the chimney.
4: But we must help Jonathan. He'll do nothing for himself. He's hopelessly in love with that woman. It's up to us.
2: Yes. But it uh, it won't be easy.
4: It is easy. I'll go to her and see her myself.
2: Would that be wise?
4: But I don't care whether it's wise or not. I'll tell her we know about the dress and how the blood stain got there... and we know every move of her game. I'll make her talk. It'll be one woman to another.
2: An impressive situation at any time.
4: But she'll give herself away. She won't be able to help it. You'll see.
2: I won't see. I won't be there. And neither will you. If we're writing what we think, she's a desperate woman, a dangerous woman. She wouldn't give herself away. You'd be giving her another alternative.
4: She has no alternative.
2: She might murder you.
4: Oh, don't be so melodramatic, father.
2: Look, my love, face facts. What is the least that can happen to you if you tackle this remarkable lady? She will at once pick up a little pink telephone and call the police. She will then give you in charge for concealing a fugitive from justice. Eventually, you will be tried at the Old Bailey. Well, if you're lucky, you might get off with, now, let me see, a couple of years, which you will spend in Holloway prison, meditating on the folly of transmuting melodrama into real life. Well? Well, You see, the best thing you can do, my girl, is to go back to your academy and practice your soul-shaking antics in surroundings where they can't do any harm. After all, this, this fellow can't possibly mean all
1: that to you. But
4: he does, Father.
1: And we come into the 1970s. Two movies, we'll, I'll talk about them kind of both together, and that's The Goodbye Girl and Opening Night. Both came out in 1977. And so the first one is Goodbye Girl. And I I was really conflicted about whether or not to talk about this movie. Because The Goodbye Girl, I, I don't love it. I do like it. It was written by Neil Simon. It stars Richard Dreyfuss and Marsha Mason. And uh, Richard Dreyfuss won his only Oscar for his role in The Goodbye Girl. And basically, it's a rom-com set in the theater world. Richard Dreyfuss is this uh, young actor who's moved to New York uh, from Chicago. And he comes to live in an apartment. And what he finds out is that there is a woman living in his apartment. And the person he had sublet the apartment from just broke up with this woman and didn't tell her that he was leaving. her. And so she stuck at the apartment with her, with her daughter. And they essentially, it kind of, it's kind of the odd couple in a way. So they agree, Hey, we'll live together. Even we don't know each other. So we can kind of make it in New York city. And so you have this, like Richard Dreyfuss plays is very kind of not hippie, but very earthy, like doesn't put anything bad into his body. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. And he's like a, an actor on the rise and he's been cast in this off, off, off Broadway play off, 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 off Broadway version of Richard the third. And he's playing and his director was like, I want you to play Richard the third as if he was gay is the whole thing. No hump, no, no crutch or anything like that. No limp. I just want you to play, take those physical things and put it in a mental state. And it's a very, I don't know how it ages in the (laughs) modern era, uh, because it's very over the top in how he's playing Richard III is gay. Very funny for the time. I, I'm interested to see what people think about this in the modern sense. But it's it definitely establishes Neil Simon into this world, which is kind of why I want to talk about it, is that he was a playwright, and the big ones are The Odd Couple, which... Is probably his biggest success in terms of became a movie, became a TV show, became a sequel to the movie, became another TV show, and then became another TV show. So like he had multiple TV adaptations throughout its years. And even with Barefoot in the Park, which was one of his earlier plays, he he's kind of had a stamp on. He's probably one of the most prolific American playwrights of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And then that carried over into film. And so, in some cases, you will have those theater roots pop up into his films, like The Goodbye Girl, with Dreyfus being an actor. And Marsha Mason's playing a dancer, an aged dancer who now after her boyfriend has left her, she now has to go back into the dancing world after she's been gone for so many years and has kind of aged out of it. She's like, I'm 33, I'm too old for dancing. <laughs> and it's just kind of, it's an interesting take on like how um, uh, quickly uh, entertainment industry, not just Hollywood, but film and theater and television will kind of write off women as they age out. And aging out could be just, you pass 33. And that's a big part of it. And she's trying to get back, and she's trying to get back in the dancing shape and all that. But essentially, it's a rom com set amongst the theater world. But my favorite part is like he he Dreyfus comes in and is like, uh, uh, "If you don't leave this apartment, I'll call my lawyer friend downtown." And it's basically a direct line from Streetcar Named Desire. And Marsha <laughs> is like, "Oh no, you're an actor." Like she 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 knows that. Like, oh gosh, I have a, lo- a lawyer acquaintance downtown. That streetcar named Desire it's just, and it's like, he, she knows it because she's lived with actors so many times and fallen for, for horrible men who are actors. It's like, oh, everyone wants to quote Tennessee Williams to me.
6: Uh, dripping on your rug. It's been dripped on before. Look, uh, I'm sorry about this. I didn't know that there were going to be any complications.
7: Yeah, well, there's a lot of that going around lately.
6: I don't blame you for being hostile. I think I get the picture. Tony rented me the apartment and split with the money, right? And then you and your daughter got dumped on?
7: <laughs> that is your version. My version is that Tony and I amicably end our relationship. We agreed I would keep the apartment, and you and your $600 got dumped
6: on. Get the picture? Very sharp. Sharp. That's very sharp. You a sharp New York girl, right?
7: No, dull Cincinnati kid. But you get dumped on enough, you start to develop an edge.
6: Okay. So what's the deal, huh? I mean, I got a lease here in my pocket. You gonna honor it or what?
7: I got a daughter in my bed. That tops a lease in your pocket.
6: Look, I don't want to get legal, you know? Legal happens to be on my side. Now, I happen to have a lawyer acquaintance downtown. Now, all I got to do is call this lawyer acquaintance of mine. Whoa, whoa, what?
7: An actor. Another goddamn actor. I happen to have a lawyer acquaintance. Right out, a streetcar named Desire. Stanley Kowalski and Summerstock, right?
6: Wrong. Chicago in the dead of winter. Three and a half months at the Drury Lane Theater. Ask an actor a question, he gives you his credits. You wanna hear the reviews Elliot Garfield brings to Kowalski Dimensions that even Brando had not investigated? Terrific!
7: You write beautifully. Aren't you a little short to play Stanley?
6: Nobody noticed I stood on the poker table. What are you, a critic? No,
7: no, I love actors. As long as they stay up on the stage where they belong. But you put them down in real life and the whole world gets screwed up. Well, I have had enough. I am not getting kicked out of the same lousy apartment twice.
1: So you have this idea of the fading, uh, the, the rising actor with Dreyfus who's like trying to to get by, by the skin of his teeth. And then you have a little bit of the falling a- or the falling star with Marsha Mason. And that comes in to play more with Opening Night, which is, I think, kind of the quintessential storyline for a fading star. And Opening Night was directed by John Cassavetes. It stars Gina Rollins as this, this uh fading actress who's done theater and has done film. But she's kind of, she's, she's, she's at a point in her life where she is being seen for older roles and she gets cast in this play and what she does she's the only thing that makes this character a character is her age is that this woman is getting older and her life is changing and Jenna Rollins as an actress or as her character doesn't want to accept the fact that this these are the roles she's going to be playing she and she does she she just can't get by that she's getting older and she's essentially fighting it the entire time and so you're seeing her fighting through this movie it's one of the most realistic portrayals of a theater theater like putting on a play that i've seen because when it gets to the final third act it's like you're you're following like you could be on the outskirts waiting for your actor to get off stage to go into the t- a costume change or to fix an issue that's happened on stage, and that's what it captures it. Captures the back, the, the the backstage area of like when these people are coming off and how you're trying to rush them back on. All the problems are happening. His character's showing up drunk. But we have to put on the show, and she is. What ends up happening with her? The big thing that kind of starts the plot is that she sees one of her like obsessed fans getting killed she basically the obsessed fan kind of follows her down the street as they're driving away and a car hits the girl and uh jenna roland's character is kind of haunted by this youth of this girl dying and essentially creates this like imagination that this young girl is haunting her and she kind of sees it as like her past self her younger self haunting her as an older woman And she's trying to hold on to that youth the entire movie until finally in the final third act when she has to put on the play, she has to make a choice of whether to accept that she's aging or to, like, hold on to the youth she had.
4: Why can't you read my lines? Listen, Sarah. Every playwright writes a play about herself. You've written a play about aging. I'm not your age. What is your age? I'm aware that uh, playing an older woman is part of my problem. I have no illusions about being a teenager. But, uh, you know, on stage, you have Virginia having hot flashes. So I don't have hot flashes. I, I'm not going through menopause. I'm not ready to play grandmothers yet. You know, you're very clever. If I'm good at this part, my career is severely limited. Limited to what? Once you're convincing in a part, the audience accepts you as that. As what? As old. That's what old.
1: But moving on from opening night and into the 1990s with, I think this is a movie that gets called out a lot in terms of theater movies, and that's Waiting for Guffman. So Thomas, what is is Waiting for Guffman about?
0: Yeah, it's about a small town in Missouri putting on a play for their... uh i don't remember what the exact date is i, a, I, I think it's like a
1: hundredth yeah, year an
0: anniversary of their founding and uh and the local drama teacher who is a who's a broadway as as he would put it retired broadway star but um a, a broadway <laughs> reject is is hired to to make it and uh to produce it and direct it and uh it's just about uh yeah it's a it's it's a uh, mockumentary um shot by christopher guest who is mockumentary royalty yeah it's 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 just the process of making the the, this play with a man with very high aspirations in charge and a bunch
1: (laughs) of just kind of random townsfolk in the cast well it's like parker posey who's amazing works as the dairy queen Mm -hmm. like her thing i'm just like i I always have the dairy queen i can always come back yeah eugene
0: levy is a is a dentist
1: and and then you have the the married couple who's played by fred willard r.i.p and Catherine O'Hara, who are like the, the couple who are travel agents who have never left the city of Blaine, Missouri, but they're like, oh, we have a great deal to Paris if you want to go. But yeah, it captures, it definitely, what's so unique about it too, that we haven't really seen in this genre before that, is it captures the, the, uh, the world of like amateur theater. Yeah. And community. Theater. It takes all the
0: stuff that we're familiar with from watching these movies, like Forty Second Street, about putting this huge play on, and it makes it yeah. does it on a micro, micro, micro scale.
1: And and you can argue even the diva aspect with with Fred Willard's character. Yeah, I mean, it's well, playing this, like sure. diva character.
0: The, yeah, my favorite scene in the movie is when he goes to the town council and asks them for. Well, it's like $100,000, right? $100,000. Yeah. He, he says he says, "Yeah, I need more money." And they're like, "Yeah, of course. How much?" And he says, "$100,000." And they just all start laughing at him. And they're like, "Our full uh budget for the year is like 15,000." <laughs> and then he quits because he 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 can't get the money that he needs to properly do the
1: show. I mean, it's the I, it's great. I mean, it's it's a quick watch, 84 minutes. It it's it's a breeze. But I, I it captures to me the the realism of just like when i did community theater of just how like yeah this guy is a travel agent or this guy works at a doctor's office or this person works at an eye doctor and they're in this play it's all just like it's the theater is an escape for these people and gives them just that like it, it helps them scratch that itch that they don't get to have often like like acting is not their career but is a way to express themselves is what it is
0: yeah and one thing i one thing i really like about this movie too is it um because sometimes i i feel like some and I, I one of the reviews i read was like this movie's great if you want to watch people feel like self-righteous for an hour and a half and i, I think sometimes people write like christopher guest stuff yeah. off as being um as being like it's making making condescending fun of it. or self-righteous but one yeah, of the yeah. things i love about this movie is it shows you how much during the like the show must go on sequence it shows you how much the people of the town are like really appreciating it yeah. and it makes you realize that if like corky and these actors could like get out of their own heads for just a minute like they would see that they're bringing actual joy to the people in the town
1: but they're but, focused on going to broadway
0: yeah their ambitions are so high that they like never notice that but i i love that i love the and they cut to these little cutaways of people like during intermission that are like it's amazing it's so much fun i love the guy who's like it's so
1: it's so, man, I wish there wasn't this play. Oh, Michael <laughs> like, Hitchcock. I love Michael Hitchcock
0: so much. <laughs> He's fantastic in
1: this. He's just like, man. It's just, but yeah, it just captured just like, and all, like you said, the importance of of theater and the importance of art in small towns like this. Like this is, I mean, again, growing up in Alabama and Tuscaloosa, like we had children's theater and we had uh, a, a local community theater called Tuscaloosa or, or Theater Tuscaloosa. And that's how we got plays in town outside of high school that were actually like had some sort of budget to it not just kind of thrown together by a local high school i i've because i would say some of our high school performances not that good not that good (laughs) i've only walked out of one show in my entire life and one of them was a high school performance in Tuscaloosa, alabama won't tell you which one it was um it was oklahoma um and i agree with you is that if corky and these people Stop thinking about going to Broadway and these big, huge. Ambet- they're they're thinking outside the town. Weirdly, you could argue there's some connections with the Texas movie genre. Shot in Texas. Also- shot in Texas. Exactly. Yeah. There's some. There's a couple connections here in this genre with Texas movies. Yeah, it reminded me of Texasville a little bit. Yeah, it's. I think there. I think it's shot in the same town. That 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 at- city hall definitely looked the same. Looks look the same. Yeah, I agree. Um, but definitely, it definitely uh, it, it captures. That the, the the eccentric characters in a small town.
6: Everybody, everybody, I have a little announcement to make. I wasn't gonna tell you, I sent out ten letters to different producers in New York oh, that's City. Great. This is from the Oppenheimer organization. Dear Mr. St. Clair, in response to your letter, re Blaine Missouri's one hundred fiftieth anniversary and the debut of your original musical. Red, White, and Blaine. The Oppenheimer Organization is delighted to inform you that it will be sending a representative, Mr. Mort Guffman, to view the production and enlighten us with his comments. How about that? We thank you for the invitation, and it says, best regards, Samuel Oppenheimer, Jr.
4: Wow. What does this mean, Corky?
6: What it means is, we may be going to Broadway.
1: When you get involved in the play, no matter what your job is, it becomes like, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely a, a release for you. It's a, it's a way to express yourself. I went to high school with a couple people who just like would not do drama in their last year. They're like, man, this was so much fun. I wish I did this the entire time. And like for them, People always see Glory Days as like the football and sports thing. But in some cases, Glory Days for other people is, is being on stage and that that promise of like a longer career of acting. It's like, I mean, even look at, uh, what's the show on Disney Plus? Um, High School Musical, The Musical? No, not that one. It's, it's, it's the uh, Encore. It's the, right? Encore, yeah. Like it's, it's kind of capturing similar things that Waiting for Guffman does to me. Mm-hmm. Encore is just a serious version of it. So Brandon, what what other movies really capture that feeling of of uh, high school theater for
0: you? <laughs> Are we moving on? I, I, that seems like the perfect. You set us up for the perfect
1: transition. Well, the next we want to talk about, guys, is a movie called Camp. And Camp it came out in two thousand three. Uh, Thomas has some things to say. That's why he's so excited to move on to this. Uh, camp camp two thousand three. It was an indie movie. Uh, about a, a theater camp a summer theater camp which with this genre there hasn't really been up to this point really teen centric movies dealing with theater and the idea of high being in high school and doing theater or just be, being young and doing theater and camp was kind of the first one it was directed by todd graff who based it on his experiences at a theater camp that he was a attendee to and then also a counselor later on and Camp is kind of the early digital indie boom of the early 2000s. Uh, it was picked up by IFC, I believe, IFC Films, and was, I think, at Sundance. Did you, is that what you read? Was it at Sundance? Yeah. Or... Yeah,
0: Peter Travers said it was
1: a Sundance hit. Okay. Uh, so it's basically you're following a lot of these people at a theater camp. It's, it's, you follow this one guy, this straight white male who comes to this theater camp. And is basically being chased after by all of the straight girls, but also some of the, the gay teenage boys that are there. Uh, yeah, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, guys. And it was one that was shown to me like when I was in high school. And it was kind of the first film that I saw that showcased like teens doing drama. And it was also one of our most talked about films in the Facebook post that I made. When I asked for, for suggestions from you guys, Camp was, I think, the top suggestion uh but thomas has some thoughts on this movie because he'd never seen it before and he was never in theater growing up besides the the stuff he talked about early on so thomas what were your thoughts on the 2003 film camp this was my thought process watching
0: this movie because i never even heard of it and yeah. then we we posted on on social media hey we're doing a theater episode what what should we watch and everybody said camp and i was like oh this must be this like indie movie that is like beloved within the the undiscovered gym yeah yeah. and i was like all right cool absolutely i'm down it's got anna kendrick in it yeah let's go first movie and then i I get like five minutes into it and i'm like oh this is this is bad bad like this is like oh all these people must have been saying it as a joke because everyone watches it and makes fun of how bad it is and i was i i got maybe another like 20 minutes into it not like having a good time like oh this is the room but for like theater kids. And then I looked up some reviews and then I found out that people think this is a good movie. And then I just didn't know. I didn't know what to think. Like the, I I went from like the highs to lows to like complete confusion. And it was, I was just all over the place. This movie's awful. (laughs) Okay. That's it's, it's uh, the acting is terrible the 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 camera is is terrible like i know i know we were very forgiving in the beginning of the digital age but like most of the movie's out of focus the the script is bad like the structure is so bizarre like every every synopsis i looked up of this movie like opens with like a washed up alcoholic broadway star comes to teach at a a camp he doesn't show up until (laughs) like
1: the end of the second act
0: and he has like two scenes before
1: that. I, I I yeah 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 he's he's not a integral part until much later. He shows up like day 3 of camp and is like, "Oh yeah, I'm here." Yeah, and and like part of part of what I read
0: was like, "Oh, it was like it was a huge thing for representation in 2003." And I'm like, "Okay, I can't go back to 2003 and 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 relive what it was like to see uh, you know, a majority uh diverse cast. In a teen film Mm -hmm. and dealing with you know dealing with uh coming out and dealing with drag and dealing with uh bullying because of being gay i can't go back and like replicate what it felt like in 2003 to watch that but now the way it is handled is awful it's like yes this is a primarily diverse cast but the main characters are all straight and white and yeah. everyone else in the movie is gonna be in love with these two main straight white characters who are both terrible actors. And terrible characters <laughs> as well. There's no reason everyone should like what's his
1: name? Vlad? Vlad Vlad. There's no reason everyone should like Vlad. He sucks. He's he's terrible. This <laughs> it's, it's so bad. I never thought we would talk about camp on this podcast, but I'm so glad we're here. And, uh, I, and I, was, I
0: was having a weird feeling watching it. And I was, I was talking to you about it and I was talking to my girlfriend about it. And I about, got so
1: many texts from him about, and this. about what
0: it's like to have seen it when you were in theater. And, and, and from what I yeah. picked up reading some like user reviews on letterbox was people were like, I was a theater kid. I didn't feel like there was anything out there. Film wise. that was contemporary. That was for me. And this movie came yeah. out and it was for me. So I don't care that it's, like lower quality i don't care that it's not great it was for me and that was like oh it's a faith-based film for theater kids like and i read someone else on letterboxd said that after i'd realized it but like that i was like oh that's it like if you make something super 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 niche you can get away with almost anything it it feels like sometimes
1: i mean you I, (laughs) i texted i texted thomas i was like what if i've told you i've seen this movie multiple times And he was just like, "It'd be the first time I've ever doubted your taste." Yeah, because if you you had told me,
0: like, when I was in that mode for like the first twenty minutes, where I was like, "Oh, this is the room," I I was having a great time. Like, yeah, I would have been like, "Oh, fun!" Like, you you guys all got together and like
1: made fun of this movie. But no, that's not that's not what it is. No, it's it's not. We I never watched it. I don't know how my other theater friends thought of it, like that were in high school because it did. It doesn't represent my high school experience with theater. I will say that, but spending a lot of time every year at like drama competitions it's definitely in terms just like let's i I think i texted you i was like if i could get a dollar anytime i heard someone perform a song from chicago at a drama competition or just any type of showcase i went to i would be so rich right now like and it's kind of like take that it's the Sondheim, sondheim thing in this movie is like it's the oh let me see or what's your audition piece oh don't rail my parade oh how original that's how like theater thing is it's like where it's like you hit a certain point and you're just hearing a repetition of everything that's been done before mm-hmm. when you're like when you're a teenager because you're discovering those things like sondheim which you have a problem with in this because like sondheim is a big a big character yeah like i said if this if this is a faith-based film for theater kids sondheim is god
0: like yeah. that's just that's <laughs> that's what it is and then it's in hero the worship of sondheim yeah, yeah
1: yeah it's one that like when I watch it every time I watch it, I'm just like, man, this is not good and I don't know how I can convince anyone to watch this movie but I still get enjoyment from watching this film it's a it's a it's a comfort film for some people
0: yeah I, I didn't comfort was the least of the emotions that I felt when I um uh, when I watched this movie
1: but let's talk about how good Anna Kendrick is in this movie for her three scenes two scenes she has two two good scenes okay.
0: Yeah, no, I love one of my favorite Letterboxd reviews, and you found it too. Was was one yeah. where it was like, if you're if you're scrolling through Netflix and your wife says, uh, says, oh, there's a movie with Anna Kendrick uh, called Camp. Maybe we should watch it. You have it's your duty to tell her that it's not currently
1: available on Netflix or
0: Hulu or yeah. anywhere else
1: yeah it's like oh yeah if you're reading anna kendrick's memoirs and she mentions her time on a movie called camp yeah somebody else in the letterbox reviews it said just watch this youtube link to like anna kendrick's one important scene in the movie yeah ladies who lunch yeah which is a great it's like when you watch this is the thing when you know like kind of the acting the rest of the movie is not that good is when anna kendrick shows up you're just like oh okay like the thing when she does ladies who lunch from company is like she's on a totally different level than anyone else in the movie and that she was one, already like
0: pr- fairly well established on Broadway at that point. Yes,
1: at that point. But she was, like I think, 16 at the time. And it, it was her first film that she was in. I don't think she's in a movie for five, like five more years. But yeah, no one else really, besides her and then Robin DeJesus, who played the character of Michael, uh, he's done pretty well on Broadway. He was in, in the he- the original In the Heights production. Uh, not many of the kids acted again. Yeah. And, I mean, shout out
0: Robin He just had... The, the unfortunate luck of being paired up with this kid that played Vlad in like every scene who is the worst actor in this movie and the worst written character in this movie. The main character in this movie about people who love theater camp is a straight white male who doesn't really like musical theater that much.
1: No, it doesn't. It's just like, hey, I wanted to be an actor. It's like, Let oh, you're to list- an actor. Oh,
0: you're listening to Steven Sondheim? Have you ever tried listening to hip-hop? Like... <laughs> Sometimes it's cool uh, to just be normal and listen to normal music. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, like he—he's like everything wrong with like a white teenager. Not yeah. everything, but a good bit. It's like, yeah, the whole. Have you ever? Heard like, sometimes it's just good to be like everyone else. Is yeah. what is a line he says in the movie? Yeah, and I think it's because you can't read what the character's supposed to be doing. Like, is he supposed to be a terrible person? Is he supposed to be a manipulator? Yeah, or are yeah. we trying to like Is, is like he him?
0: supposed to seduce every single person
1: in the camp? Because he does. Every single person. <laughs> Weirdly, even like the counselors. <laughs> um, Yeah. I, I I didn't know there was that big of a cult following with this movie until we did this show. Because I was on the fence about including it because I knew, I was like, Thomas is not going to like this movie. Like, I didn't think there was any way you'd like this film. But because everyone kind of like because everyone kind of shouted out on Facebook, I was like, okay, maybe there is a following here that we should discuss. I can't, I cannot, I, I, I've
0: tried, I cannot convey to you the, the wave of emotions watching this because I legitimately thought this was, it was recommended by so many people. I legitimately thought going into this, this was a good movie. It was such a bizarre experience to realize that it was not.
1: And I apologize to anyone that's listening to this that loves camp. Uh don't let Thomas sway you in any way. You should be swayed. You should not like this I never
0: film is entirely subjective. You're allowed to love anything that you want except for can so mean. So <laughs> mean. I mean it was like if someone came up to you and told you that like the room was unironically their favorite movie. You 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 can't you can't step back. You 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 don't have perspective on this. I came to this movie <laughs> fresh as an adult. <laughs> And I understand. I understand awful movies that you watch as a teenager that you like. Have you're like, oh, I have a soft spot yeah. for that movie because I watched it a ton as a teenager for some inexplicable reason. But but yeah, the the cult the cultiness around this was is weird. Like it it deserves. A, like I would be in, in full support of like screening this like the room and having a blast with it. But and I think if everyone opened their minds up, they would recognize that that is the way this movie needs to be digested. So
1: if I come to Atlanta, is that what we're going to do? We're going to do a screening of camp?
0: Yeah. And we can all just like throw stuff at the screen when one of the main characters say bisexuality doesn't exist. That's, and that's like, like seriously. And she's supposed to be the, the like heroine of the movie. I
1: don't think this. Sh- oh, she does say that. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay and they never resolve some...
0: it but she never like apologizes or like she never changes her opinions or anything now here
1: here's my this question is also the, this
0: is also the 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 leading white female who who stars in in uh dream girls as effie white yeah, yeah, yeah and they never bring up that that's a
1: problem at all that's that's questionable yeah it is a questionable movie i'll i'll agree with you on that i don't know how to follow that i don't want to say a but i don't want to throw a but in there about but it's <laughs> worth watching um no um yeah I film, get is, it.
0: film is film suggest- is subjective i'd say that again taste is subjective you're allowed to like what you like but but it's bizarre oh, I, remember what I was gonna say the support I'll, for this movie is, is bizarre I, I,
1: but let me let me ask you this yeah is there and i think you're kind of seeing it with disney you know you did away. just say
0: last week you thought our tastes were too alike so and you now know, we're I'm, here yeah i'm bringing it <laughs> i'm bringing the contrast do,
1: do, now take take this, take a theater campus as a setting, and you do it as a TV show like
0: this with with these actors
1: not with these actors, not with the not with this crew, but like the setting Maybe what I'm trying to say is like no one's really explored the setting of like teens doing drama in high school except like Disney things like high school musical Pulse. or whatever. Faults, my friend. What am I forgetting?
0: Like two seasons ago, there was a television show exactly about this with Josh Ratner in the lead.
1: No, I do not count that show. I do not like that show. Oh, okay. Well, I don't count. count. I do not like <laughs> that. was that's another problem, by the way. I, I will go. With, that was, rise is very problematic. Maybe I won't say more so. But dude, that's they, they had a and and rise. And this is a tangent that I didn't expect we we're going to get into today. In that show, you have a a, a a Rosie Perez as a as a drama teacher, and because this white English teacher comes, is like, "Hey, I want to revamp the drama department." They just basically set aside Rosie Perez to let this white guy come in and do the drama department because he listened to Hamilton. Like, that's so problematic. <laughs> I, like know, the I, didn't whole, I didn't
0: watch it i just remember I when they were it.
1: casting it i was working in casting while it was i i watched it and stopped because it was also just like i mean there were like tropes of like oh let's just do Greece instead and they're just like we've done Greece before which is a very like that's a whole other topic of theater discussion but like yeah it's like, like episode one or episode two it's just like yeah they're li- like him and his family is listening to hamilton and he was just like yeah like that's this is what inspired me i'm just like no no, come on. This can't be it. You can't just be yo. We're gonna come in and do spring awakening because I saw Hamilton and I want to change these kids' lives. And like Rosie Perez, just like it. I'm sorry. Problematic problem. But I do think camp is like you have Glee because of camp.
0: That doesn't make me like it more. <laughs> no, I'm not,
1: I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying like literally, you don't have Glee without camp. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that as a fact. I'm not saying that to sway you or to sway anyone. I am just stating there is an influence for Ryan Murphy because of this movie. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Camp. <Count. laughs> but do you but okay, but like, do you think there is a world where you can tell a story in this setting? Yeah. That's absolutely. my thing. I think there's something to explore here and that and that's why why I like the movie. I didn't think we were going to spend this long on camp, but why I like the movie is because I do think there is potential in the premise but it's the wrong peel behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I'm, I'm not, yeah. I, like I, you know, I, I, like I said, I fully recognized that in 2003. What I read in a lot of the reviews was people being a, very excited that even though it was a very flawed movie, it, it felt very diverse and that it gave a voice to people who didn't have voices yeah. at that point. Now it has not aged. Well, the way in which they gave voices to those people we recognize now are not adequate ways to represent people i uh, I'll, I'll agree with that but i think yeah i think if if you if you had uh people of color and queer people in a writer's room uh and everyone was yeah. sharing their the, their experience with growing up with theater i think yeah i think you could get something very interesting
1: out of it so we agree on that yep. i agree completely with that because yep. i i do i this i think what uh, why people attach to this so much is because it's the only thing out there that kind of represents them in some way not fully like i said my high school experience was not in theater was not like this but there sh- there are, are uh parts of it anyway mm-hmm. what clip should we play for camp i don't i don't know i, I think it has seen. to be Anna kentrick maybe i don't know no, clue. we'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. The clip that we're gonna play is now. Fritzi, what in the
4: hell are you doing here?
6: Well, I knew you'd be discussing stopping the show, and I just thought how disappointed and all the kids would be. With you him? scheming little bitch, please. I'm a child. A you think for I'll oh, save the speech, rummy. She's fucked. I'm ready, and the goddamn show must go on. Uh, so let's get cracking, shall we? I'll drink the best. When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest. Another chance to disapprove. Another brilliant singer. Another
1: Now into our next movie, which is kind of, a, this is a little bit of a sequel to our last episode on Richard Linklater. Our next movie is me and Orson Welles. And we had talked a little bit about this, uh, in terms of Linklater's canon, but I really wanted to bring it back and kind of discuss more about it, uh, in the theater genre. And can you tell us what me and Orson Welles is about? Yeah, it's about a a, a teenage
0: high school um, high school student who is uh, obsessed with like modern theater of the time, which is a set yeah. in what the twenties, thirties, thirties. I think.
1: Yeah. But
0: he, he, when we're introduced to him, he's reading John Gielgud's adaptation of Shakespeare. He's obsessed with like the, the current of what is pop theater in his time, yeah. which is like younger yeah. people at, adapting Shakespeare. Um, And so he goes into New York on a day trip and just happens to run into Orson Welles' acting troupe at the Mercury Theater and uh, and works his way into getting a small part in the show. And in being in the show becomes friends, forms a a kind of like mercurial relationship with Orson Welles and the people that surround Orson Welles, including Joseph Cotton. Um, And... Yeah, it's just kind of a, it's like a coming of age, like finding, you know, someone who's, I mean, I I texted you, I said, this feels like a, like a spiritual days confused kind of, it's this, it's this young yeah, yeah. kid kind of lying his way into a, a place that's like beyond him. That's kind of out of his yeah. reach, but, but landing it and, and just suddenly gaining like all these mentor figures yeah. and just taking in everything he can in a short period of time. But yeah, it's like a, it's set in like the week
1: leading up to the opening of this play. And the thing about Wells, uh, at this point, Orson Wells, before he got into film with Citizen Kane, he was he was a prodigy. He did theater from a young age and was highly intelligent. And did radio, and so at this point, he's doing theater and radio all at the same time. And he worked in the WPA, like the work the during the Great Depression. He kind of helped. Uh, Artists who were who were on down their luck and kind of created plays for the government basically and uh the mercury theater was kind of his out his first outing or this play is his first outing outside of the government and uh, out of the kind of works progress groups and all that stuff works pro- the wpa and so it's like everything's on the line for orson wells in this in this play and he's doing julius Caesar. But he's, what was so unique about Wells is that he would take a play like Shakespeare and try to update it for a modern era. And so with this play, which was so kind of famous, was that he took Julius Caesar and kind of put it in, I mean, kind of Nazi Germany in a way. Mm-hmm. It's and not under fully a fascist, a, fascist yeah.
0: a modern fascist regi- regime.
1: regime. And uh, when you actually watch the play and they tried to recreate the play in the movie as close to his actual play was with the lighting design and the way the stage was and play plays pretty damn good the way they uh, update it. But Wells was essentially like, as people have kind of said at that point in time, he was probably the most intelligent American or the the, 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 the American that could understand and comprehend and dissect Shakespeare the best. And this comes up to your to be or not to be line which mm-hmm. is what basically what what's the scene that what happens that's in the, how when when they first meet that's how zach
0: efron wins him over Is he says did you hear me do hamlet he had put hamlet on as a radio play radio and he play, said yeah. what'd you think of my hamlet and zach efron says i thought it was perfectly done and i'm glad you cut out the to be or not to be scene because that is the most that 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 um soliloquy doesn't uh doesn't move the plot along at all and you had to you had to cut the play down to an hour and that was the thing that needed to go and he was it's it's obvious from the way they're speaking that he took a lot of flack from the critics for getting rid of that and he's like yes you get me and that is that is the you're in the place moment (laughs) that was like exactly
1: yeah you understand me
0: yeah that's exactly what we wanted to hear and that's also when we start to realize that that orson is surrounded by a bunch of yes men and then the way to get what you yeah. want out of orson is to just tell him exactly what what he wants to hear uh, yeah. which which continues which, throughout the movie
1: but i really loved this movie
0: yeah i i i, I was very very i had a great time it, it like, reminds me it's like linklater's version of almost famous but for theater but it feels a lot like almost famous that's a fair in a, point. In a good way in a good way In a good way yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're just like especially being that young and not be like the you don't have the emotional intelligence to understand these people that you're around as, and these, yeah. these like these types who are just like all over these the These artists yeah these artists and, yeah. And, and it's it's always interesting to watch someone who's young and who is very like emotionally simple have to navigate these people who are just like your best friend one moment and your worst enemy the next and they just they yeah. they don't know how to do it and this was probably my favorite performance I've seen out of Ephron.
1: I agree and it was it was right after high school musical. I think he said he had, he still hadn't done the third the third movie yet and he was just like no one was wanting to cast me outside of like teen teen dramas or teen musicals or just teen films. And this was like oh my gosh, is an actual part that someone wants me to like do. And he's great and I think Christian McKay is Orson Welles. Mhm. might be be the best portrayal of Orson Welles I've seen from anyone. Because Orson is just kind of like, you can go over the top with Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. And there's a movie called Cradle Will Rock, which I I think is a fine movie. But the guy who's playing Orson Welles is just not, like, it's not Orson Welles. It's a dude who's just trying to play Orson Welles, if that makes sense. Like, he really captures Orson Welles in this movie. To his voice... To, to kind of his his demeanor to how he'll be in the middle of a speech in the play but be making jokes and how he can essentially make jokes in Shakespearean language in a modern conversation. It's just, he captures the essence of Orson Welles so incredibly well. And it's a great moment when the play, it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, when the play becomes successful and this is kind of Orson's full-on, kind of probably the thing that's haunted him the most his entire his entire career was how am I going to top this? And that's what Christian McKay says when the, when the crowd erupts with applause is the, how the hell am I going to top this?
6: Because
1: mm. he was always doing that. He was always trying to top himself to got to a point where it did. It couldn't do it anymore. But yeah, it definitely, you get this in terms of how is this theater? You have the act three show must go on. You have the whole backstage drama with all these characters and the variety of different characters. Would you argue that Orson falls into like the diva category? Yeah, you, you have you have another character as well. It does the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah.
0: Orson is definitely the one that it's just like you're tiptoeing around. You're just trying to figure out how to make happy all the
1: time.
3: Yeah.
0: And I mean, even down to like the like the, the kind of side uh, with like to be or not to be like the kind of side character who always who's always joking around, who gets this like big break right at the end there.
1: Um, I f- oh, yeah. I, I forget Norman, that. Uh, it's play. It's uh the, the character name is Norman Lloyd and he's the yeah. uh, the principal or whatever in dead poet society hmm okay that's that's the character he worked with orson uh in the original place but so it's played by an actor named leo bill but yeah he, he, they're set, throughout the whole movie he's
0: like setting up to play sin of the poet and have this big scene but he's you get the feeling he's like the kind of class clown of the group and then orson cuts yeah. a scene and then in the last minute when you're supposed to believe orson's had his like big change of heart about everything he gives uh sin his scene back and uh and then he blows everyone away yeah
1: it's a great scene mm-hmm. it's, a fun, it's fun it's again similar to to uh the guy playing a uh, greenberg playing shylock and to be or not like you said it's a and it definitely it like you have the kind of jokey things in this movie throughout but in those moments that's where it, like it really captures the 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 world they were living in at that time mm-hmm. like i said i love this movie uh, in terms of Linklater aspect, it's a shame that this is like was his least successful film in terms of box office, but honestly, might be. I think it's his most underrated, his most underseen, and possibly one of his best.
0: Yeah, I texted you, and like I said, kind of with the days confused, like it, it feels like his most like secretly Linklater movie. Yeah, even though he didn't write it, he he worked with some some regular collaborators and a lot of the dialogue feels like him, and it just feels like a bunch of people introducing the younger generation to something that they love, and the good side and the bad side of it, and that that feels very much like him. Can you
6: play the ukulele? Mr. Wells, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who could play the ukulele better than me. The kid's got balls. Will
2: you work for nothing? Orphan! Quiet, I'm negotiating. (laughs) Have you ever heard anybody so in love with the sound of his own goddamn voice as Jack Gilgood? That drawing room school of Shakespeare makes my blood boil. It has nothing to do with the violence, passion, blood of the Elizabethan stage. Did you hear my Hamlet on radio?
6: Yes, on the Columbia workshop last fall. What did you think? Well, considering the time constraints you were under trying to squeeze Hamlet into two half-hour broadcasts, I'd say the results were very close to brilliant. That is exactly correct. People criticized
2: me for cutting to be or not to be. Dramatically, in terms of pure story, that is the most expendable speech in the entire play. It doesn't tell us one thing we don't already know. Can you sing? I'm ready! Hold on a minute! All right, Mr. Gilgood. Sing me something. Astonish me.
6: Have you. Tried wheaties? <laughs> they're whole wheat with all of the bran. Have you tried wheaties? For wheat is the best food of man. They're crunchy. You're hired. They're
3: t- yeah. 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 Okay, Sam, yeah. plug it
6: in.
1: So, moving on, we're getting towards the end here. There's a few movies that got brought up in our in the post I made on Facebook about films that fall into this genre, and there's a couple that we've discussed and tried to figure out as well. So, I'm gonna, I'm going to throw off a few movies to you, Thomas, okay. and you tell me if they're a theater movie. And we can kind of maybe discuss why real quick, but we'll just go through it. Chicago. I think so. Why? Um I I think it it is like
0: motivated by fame. It's about the the uh even when it's not necessarily about theater, it's about the crowd that surrounds theater. And there's always like a weaving motivation of like theater and fame throughout it. It it feels like it's, it's not just there. It feels like it's a part of the movie.
1: And they're using theater like to perform in their Mm -hmm. minds is a thing. Like it's, it's kind of, it's, I agree with that. Black Swan. Um, I mean, I think you could do a very, it would be a small group,
0: but I think you can do a ballet, especially with as ballet dance a, yeah spe- yeah dance too yeah if we, you want to involve that but i think especially because if it weren't for how iconic the red shoes was as a film yeah. i think the fact that the red shoes exist makes legitimizes that as its own like sub sub genre
1: yeah i agree with you moulin rouge i don't count it
0: okay if we're talking about like theater theater like that it's about a cabaret i mean you can make a sub show Sub sub cabaret. cabaret genre.
1: We we don't have cabaret on our list. Yeah, there you go. Cabaret
0: thing. This one that uh, what is it? Burlesque
1: with uh Christina Aguilera. Yeah, Christina Aguilera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and then there yeah burlesque. There's a whole other thing too of other movies from like the 70s that falls in that category as well. uh Don't think twice. I th- I mean that one's weird, but I would I would almost put that
0: more in our like stand up comedy. Yeah, uh, I agree. Than I would in this because it's improv
1: uh last one or oh, two more lady bird uh i do not i don't agree with that one I, that is a yeah i'd no, say no i i think that's a sequence that's just sequence yeah. in the movie Any, anyone who Where has ever done
0: a play in a, in anything does, that, that 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 is a, it's a plot point but it's not like i said it's not yeah a, i agree yeah, part yeah. of the motivation of
1: the film uh last one white christmas uh i i think so i think that's a backstage musical i would count yeah. it i would count it yeah because they're putting on a show and then you see and then you see the show at the end yeah and then you and that's another thing too of these earlier movies like i I would not just call them backstage shows like backstage musicals but i'd call them backyard musicals like these early mickey rooney judy garland movies that are questionable now because of certain things in them but they're like these kind of people like hey let's put on a show and sometimes it's a broadway show sometimes it's a a show in their backyard it's a band performance it's anything but it's it's it still follows the idea of a backstage musical and i think white christmas falls in that category so stats real quick thomas most popular movies within this genre on letterboxd uh camp most popular no now on letterboxd um uh including we we have not we have not discussed any of these today. Oh, okay. Are we going to discuss one any of, of them one, in the future? One of, one of one of them. One of them. Yes. Birdman. Birdman's number two.
0: Uh. I don't know, man. Yeah.
1: Number one. Again, and, and you might not count these actually, but Marriage Story.
0: Eh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say it's more of a plot point than.
1: He's a, he's a theater director. She's a she's a, a theater actress. Okay. But yeah, okay, but it, it doesn't it doesn't
0: feel like the the story or the plot revolves around theater so we're
1: taking we're taking marriage stories marriage story off is what you're telling me is that that's, what you're that's, thinking that's my opinion okay we'll take it off sorry noah uh, so that changes things so birdman's number one number two you also might not count this one uh rushmore
0: um i would actually add I, yeah i'd count that one a little bit more than marriage story because there is the like it, it is there's a the show at the end. towards a show and the, the yeah. putting of the show together is ultimately what like brings everyone together and yeah. and i think it, it also has like the kind of through line that like life is a life is a play and this character is also trying to manipulate his own life like it's a play i yeah i'd give that okay. one to you more for sure
1: okay okay number three we have talked about this one now uh uh because we cut marriage story 42nd street no, that's way down there. Uh, it is Chicago. Oh, okay. All right, cool. It's Chicago. Least popular movie. Camp. It's not Camp. Damn Camp's it. actually... It's 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 higher up there. Is it one we talked about? No, we have not. You're not going to guess it. I'll tell you. Um, it is a movie called Swing. And Swing, it was directed by Oscar Micheaux this is a brief history lesson lesson here for people. Uh, there's by Oscar Micheaux and Oscar Micheaux was the first African American filmmaker. Uh, he started off in the silence into, into the sound era, And this came out in 1933, 1938. I've actually seen this movie. Um, we watched it in Alabama in our film history class and it was kind of, it was the example of, uh, African American history, African American filmmakers at that time. And, um, it's hard to find, and this is also just kind of a, a issue that we have come in contact with a lot when covering genres: is the lack of diversity within genre. And swing is, a, is the only example of African American actors that that it's a or it's a all African American cast in this genre, and it's only been seen by eighty six people. Um, it's good. It's very, I think, influential in terms of these characters are putting on a show uh and oscar michaud is also just a very influential person that is rarely talked about in film history um and i think that's very topical for what's currently happening in the country but if you can find swing go watch it if you can find any of oscar michaud's work go watch them if you can um so that's our least popular one sadly and then next up uh we'll go with highest rated movies it's not top three it's top five because it's they're all tied
0: uh, no you, you just gotta tell me man i'm never gonna guess all five
1: uh all about eve 4.2 all these are 4.2 all about eve children of paradise to be or not to be all that jazz and opening night are all wow up there so and just so you guys know don't get worried we are talking about all that jazz but that'll be a later episode and we'll cover that at the end of the show um lowest rated movies camp camp is one of them yes tied tied for third lowest at a 2.7 uh can you guess the other ones i don't know if you i don't think you'll get nah. these we'll go from from three to one tied with camp at 2.7 confessions of a teenage drama queen I've seen that
0: saw that in theaters yeah.
1: i didn't see that in theaters uh next one 2.4 oscar winning movie the broadway melody very low. And then right at the bottom, at a 1.8, The Gallows, a found footage horror film set at a high school theater. I remember when that one came out. Yeah, I did not see yeah. it. Yeah, there's also a Gallows 2. So, yeah. wow. there you go. And then most appearances, four-way tie. Wow. They all had four appearances. Mickey Rooney. Not Mickey Rooney. Dick Powell. Dick Powell has four. Yes. Uh, Judy Garland, not Judy Garland. Ginger Rogers. Ginger Rogers has four. They're all pretty much the same movie. <laughs> Who else? Uh, uh, Ruby Keller. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Joan Blondell. All right. And Joan. So quickly, Ruby Keller and Dick Powell were all were all in those four. Those two were in Forty Second Street. Footlight Parade, Gold Diggers of 1933, and Dames. Uh, Dick Powell might edge out because I haven't looked at the other because there's also like Gold Diggers of 1935 and Gold Diggers of 1937. He is <laughs> he is in all of those. So he actually might win it. Um, Joan Blondell, Gold Diggers of 1933, Footlight Parade, Dames, and she is an Opening Night. She is the playwright. And then Gen- uh, Ginger Rogers with four in 42nd street gold diggers of 1933 barclays of broadway which is a fred astaire movie the last fred astaire ginger rogers movie they did together and a movie called stage door which i wanted to bring up and i guess we'll bring up now in our last mentions uh stage door is a fun like 1930s kind of uh it's definitely it's a female driven theater movie where it's about all these kind of aspiring actresses who all live in the same boarding house and it's Katherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, Lucille Ball, uh, all of these night kind of up and coming 1930s actresses at that time. If you can find it, it's a great watch. And I think kind of just, it captures the kind of theater of outcast trope that we've talked about. Do you have any last mentions?
0: Um, yeah, I think I, I would shout out, uh, H- Hamlet too, and noises off as two comedies that I really like in this in here uh-huh. um noises off is is a film adaptation of a play yep. by peter bogdanovich who we talked about recently with texas movies it's just a lot of fun if you like like comedy of errors i, I think it's incredibly well directed for a slapstick stage comedy adaptation um the, the way that it's handled is is really fun and then hamlet 2 is just weird but it, <laughs> it was one of those that like came out when i was in high school and it has like a small cult following i think um yeah, I agree. but uh, yeah about a i mean kind of similar to waiting for guffman it, 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 in concept like a high school uh play gets way out of hand but it gets like way 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 out of hand yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah my, mine is um it's stage door and then also uh a fun one i agree with noises off i actually did noises off by the way I uh I was assistant stage manager in that play and my only job cuz have you have you ever seen the play on stage no, by the way No,
0: I've only seen the film.
1: So basically what happens in the play we had to do it's a three act structure and the whole idea and they do it in the in the, in the movie is the first act takes place in front of the stage like in, the, in like uh when they're rehearsing the second act is done showing the backstage antics that's happening and act 3 is when they're performing it in front of people and everything goes crazy so mm. we did that. And so the idea is that we had to build, they built a set that could rotate. And that's kind of what you have to do with noise. Soft. you have to build a set that will rotate between each ax. So like my only job was to push the, the set to where it rotated during the ax. So I I'm was, sure like, did I was like, I was the big dude who like would get in the middle of it and just like ram my shoulder into a certain spot and just rotate the entire set. 180 degrees and I did nothing the rest of the time anyway. Yeah. And there's a few, there's, there's some I want to watch that I got recommendations from people on our Facebook page. One is a, in the bleak of midwinter, which I'm going to watch directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, one called floating weeds by Ozu and a couple others. Where should they start? Quick thing. Where should they start in this genre?
0: I mean, I do think 42nd street is a great, intro like it is it is iconic for a reason and it's on hbo max currently yeah. um i also just, i I think we both really liked me and orson wells i think that's
1: a fun one to get into it too i think yeah i think both are good choices especially in terms of the backstage component so yeah for the people that are going to follow us the rest of the month when we're delving into theater movies here's kind of the rundown of what we're going to do so our next episode we're looking at uh birdman uh starring michael keaton edward norton emma stone and Naomi watts uh that's going to be kind of our contemporary movie and then we're also going to be doing actually our next episode is not birdman it's all about eve we're doing all about eve starring betty davis that came out in 1950 and then we're following that up with birdman starring michael keaton and our last episode of the month focusing on the theater genre is we're doing a director episode on bob fossey which I think is going to be interesting. He didn't have a lot of movies, but had a huge impact in terms of film and kind of one of those few directors that was able to transition from theater to film pretty smoothly and still did it all at the same time. And that's kind of what all that jazz was kind of based on. And we'll talk about that when we talk about his director episode. But yeah, that's all we have for you guys today. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher now. We added ourselves on Stitcher. And make sure you give us a rating, give us a review, tell us what you think, and like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Medium, and all that good stuff. We want to hear from you guys. Thomas, as always, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.